The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 49 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 45, Blitzkrieg in Central Park. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Vince Coletta, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in October of 1967. As always, we are going to start with our cover, and it's a pretty nice cover. I really like the look of the Super Adaptoid. His size gives him a more menacing look, and I think it works really well on this cover. I'm not a big fan of the fact that the Scarlet Witch is playing the very typical damsel in distress. Also, Quicksilver's doing that fast leg vibration flying thing he's discovered he can do, and I'm not really a huge fan of that. But otherwise, this is a really cool cover. Now, our opening splash page here has Hercules, Iron Man, and Thor, all featuring pretty prominently. Again, this is picking up from last issue, where we had Avengers Annual Number 1, and the whole team was together. So, it's nice to see this tie-in connection, but I really was not expecting to see Iron Man and Thor in this issue. The other thing I like about this particular opening panel is that while Thor and Iron Man are flying along, Thor is pulling Hercules by a rope because Hercules can't fly. And I think it contrasts nicely with Hercules' normal status and makes him a little goofy and a little less of the demigod that he normally is. Hercules is usually pretty untouchable and in a lot of ways very godlike. And to have to get pulled along on a rope by Hercules is kind of like a little kid getting pulled along in a little red wagon. It just diminishes him a little bit, but not in a bad way, just more in a humorous fashion. So the trio here are off to meet the rest of the Avengers at a particular destination, and we'll get to that in just a second. But before we do, we cut to Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver at Avengers Mansion, getting themselves ready for this event. And I'm not a huge fan of this scene for a couple of reasons. First off is that, again, we get Scarlet Witch very concerned about her appearance, which, again, it just reinforces gender stereotypes. It's unnecessary to the story. Interestingly enough, we get Scarlet Witch referring to her headpiece for the first time as a tiara, which I can kind of see where they're getting that, but I don't necessarily agree with that particular description. And we also get Quicksilver with a kind of sudden change in his attitude when he starts talking about humans and mutants and how humans mistrust anything that involves the word mutant, and it all just sounds a little too Magneto. Now again, at this time, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, although they're mutants, have not been identified as being the children Children of Magneto, they are just former associates of his, having been members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants at one point. But still, you know, lately, especially after the siblings left the Avengers for a little bit to go figure out what was wrong with their powers, they really seem to have a much improved relationship with normal Homo sapiens. And so Pietro's comments here kind of come out of the blue, and I don't particularly care for them. Again, it's just a little too Magneto sounding. And And at this time, we've only got room for so many mustache-twirling, scenery-chewing villains, and, you know, Magneto takes up a lot of that room. 
At any rate, after we leave Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in their jet aircraft, we find out where all the Avengers are going, and they are headed to Central Park for what we discover is Avengers Day. Now, technically, this is the second Avengers Day. If you remember way back to Avengers number 22, the mayor and city council of New York declared an Avengers Day, although we didn't actually see any of the celebrations. At the end of the issue, they said, you know, we're going to declare an Avengers Day because of all the things they've done for the city. And in that particular issue, because the city also kind of screwed the Avengers over for a while. Now, at that time, things got overshadowed because shortly thereafter, I think it's less than two pages later, Captain America announces to the rest of his teammates that he's leaving the Avengers. So Avengers Day kind of got lost in the background. But here, about two years later, we see yet another Avengers Day. And this is something that we're going to see periodically through the Silver and Bronze, and even a little bit into the modern age, this annual or periodic celebration of the Avengers, of, of New York's hometown superheroes. Now, as most of the Avengers have arrived, it's worth noting that Wasp and Cap are both currently missing, and Thor's a little impatient. So, while I like the inclusion of Thor and Iron Man in the opening page of the issue, I mean, I always in general like the inclusion of Thor, the pair don't really add a whole lot to this issue. They spend a lot of their time whining and complaining about how busy they are and later they'll start talking about how childish some of the other Avengers are acting and at this point it's already starting to get on my nerves. Everyone's got important things to do here, Thor. Either be here or don't. Nobody wants to hear you complain about it. So while the other Avengers are waiting for their teammates to arrive so the celebrations can start, we begin to focus on a particular individual in the crowd. A gentleman who is in a trench coat and doing what appears to be smoking a cigarette. And this is, in fact, the Super Adaptoid. Now, the Super Adaptoid is a villain from Captain America's story in Tales of Suspense, specifically numbers 82 through 84. Originally known as the Adaptoid, the character took the form of Jarvis and imprisoned Cap, ended up fighting the Tumbler because the Tumbler thought that Adaptoid was Captain America. The Adaptoid was knocked out. And later, Captain America brought his fellow Avengers by. The Adaptoid was able to absorb the power of these other heroes, then becoming the Super Adaptoid. And then he fought Captain America using some of these abilities that he gained from the other Avengers. The fight didn't go very well for Cap. The Super Adaptoid threw him into the river. So so Cap was able to escape it, so was the Super Adaptoid. The Super Adaptoid was originally created by AIM, Advanced Idea Mechanics, and after the fight, Super Adaptoid realized that he couldn't contact AIM any further, so he went into hiding to figure out what his next move was going to be. And after a short appearance in X-Men number 29, the Super Adaptoid has found himself in our issue. Now, a moment ago I described the Super Adaptoid's human-looking form, and for those of you who haven't seen this particular panel. If you want to know what the Super Adaptoid looks like, he looks like the frickin' Smoking Man from the X-Files. Do a Google search for the Smoking Man X-Files, and that's this guy. That is what the Super Adaptoid looks like. It's actually really kind of an uncanny resemblance, especially given the fact that this issue of the Avengers predates the X-Files by something like 25 years. Now, while we focus in on the Super Adaptoid, we get a brief flashback to the Super Adaptoid's last fight with Captain America, 
which I'm perfectly okay with because up until I researched this podcast and read this issue, I was not particularly familiar with the super adaptoids. So I'm okay with a couple of panels telling me who this character is and why I should care. The super adaptoid also admits that he is programmed to defeat Captain America and that he can't do anything else. He can't violate or change his programming. So he came here to hopefully fulfill that programming. Now, as it also turns out, he is currently slowly absorbing the powers from some of the other Avengers, specifically Iron Man, Thor, and Hercules, members who didn't come with Captain America when he showed off the super adaptoid earlier. So as we leave the super adaptoid to his thoughts for a few minutes, we find Hawkeye giving a press interview, which he admits is not something he does very often. And one of the things he's asked about is Black Widow, because again, you know, Black Widow was fairly prominently in the news over the course of several issues before her rescue and return to America. And it's generally known that she and Hawkeye are connected. And we get a, called a memory bubble from Hawkeye, flashing back to what appears to be earlier in the day and a conversation between Black Widow and Hawkeye where Widow decides that she's going to hang up her costume and Hawkeye actually talks about wanting to marry her. And Widow seems open to this idea. So I'm a little surprised that, first off, Black Widow is willing to even step away from the hero game because you know, in general, she seems pretty well suited to it. But I'm even more surprised to see the two of them talking about marriage. I really didn't think that this relationship was going to go anywhere, and I'm pleasantly surprised to see that change. As Hawkeye wraps up his interview, he and Scarlet Witch notice that Thor is coming over to talk to them and again, Thor is frustrated by Captain America and Wasp's lack of punctuality, we'll call it. And again, reiterates that he has things he needs to do. But just as this conversation is happening, Wasp shows up in a new costume and in a very flashy sports car. Again, remember, Wasp has just come into a fairly considerable amount of money for 1967, about $3 million, which is the inheritance from her late father. Now, before we get too much into that, I do want to point out the inking on the panel of Hawkeye and Thor talking, where Thor's complaining. The inking on Thor's face is off, and it makes him look really, really goofy. So instead of, as Scarlet Witch describing him as being grim, he looks goofy, and the art doesn't sell the description. Now, I realize, given the Marvel method, that's a little bit backwards, that the description should sell the art because the art came first, but that's utilizing a little bit of behind-the-scenes knowledge, and isn't necessarily something that the average reader would do, so it's a little disappointing that the, those two don't match up a little bit tighter. Now, like I was just saying, Wasp shows up with this brand new costume, brand new car, and I'm not a fan. In general, in this issue, Wasp feels very out of character. The flashy sports car, for one, just doesn't really strike me as Wasp's style, and as soon as she shows up, she starts posing for pictures with the car and flirting a bit with the photographer first along comes Goliath, and like he often does, treats Janet kind of like a child. So one, that's not cool. But two, it's not usually in Wasp's character to antagonize Goliath like she does. Because she admits that part of the reason she's flirting with these guys is to get his attention. While Wasp is a little bit on the flirty side, and she has been known to flirt with Hercules, and with Cap, 
and with Thor, it's never to this extent, and it's never with the express purpose of getting on Goliath's nerves. So to me, this whole bit seems really out of character and kind of unfortunate. So at this point, the Avengers are trying to kill time and trying to keep the crowd in good spirits because they're still waiting on Captain America. At this point, Hawkeye's doing some trick shots, Hercules is showing off his strength, and Iron Man and Thor are just commenting on how childish, how the Avengers are clowning around, strutting and fretting for the benefit of mortals. And I really really have to disagree with Thor and Iron Man here. I get the point that Thor's trying to make about, you know, the Avengers wasting their time on parlor tricks, but the comment's kind of condescending, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the Avengers taking some time to attempt to connect with their public at large. This whole crowd is assembled to honor the Avengers, and because Cap is running late, these people are just standing around, standing around, standing around. So, yeah, the other Avengers are giving them a little bit of a show, but this is helping to endear them to the crowd instead of getting the crowd angry. The reality is, and we've seen this before, that the Avengers' continued existence is often highly dependent on public perception of the Avengers, of heroes in general, but specifically of the team. So if the public starts to become frustrated and lose interest in the team, the powers that be, the city government, the the national government, tend to give them a lot less leeway in doing things, oftentimes things that they need to do to safeguard the world or the galaxy or the universe depends on what the stakes here are. So the fact that the current team members understand that and are acting on that, to me, is a good thing. And it shows a little bit that Thor and Iron Man are kind of out of touch when it comes to being Avengers. So finally, the pair just get fed up. They ask the rest of the Avengers to pass on their greetings to Cap, and they depart because, again, they feel like they have better things to do. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I'm not necessarily particularly sad to see them go. Of course, just as they leave, Captain America shows up. And it's interesting because as Captain America shows up, he talks about it being ironic that he's coming to this event because he's actually been thinking about giving up life as Captain America. Back over in Tales of Suspense, what's happened here is that Cap has fallen for a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Agent 13, who we commonly know as Sharon Carter. Uh, Sharon Carter is the blonde nurse slash S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who is in Captain America Winter Soldier in Civil War and is the great niece of Peggy Carter from the original Captain America movie and from Agent Carter. In this particular case, Cap has expressed a desire to pursue a relationship with Sharon, but she feels that she can't and that he can't because of their duties to shielding as Captain America. So Cap actually is contemplating hanging up his shield in order to pursue this relationship. Now, in the end, he will for a very short period of time, but when it becomes clear that he needs to be Captain America, he will return. What ends up happening is that the mob puts out a contract on Captain America's life, and several people who are dressed up as Captain America for some ads and things like that end up being shot at, being attacked, because they're thought to be the real Captain America. So eventually Steve Rogers comes back as Cap. But at this point, he's still just contemplating what's going on. So with Captain America finally on the scene, we get a nice rousing little Avengers assemble. We go ahead and skip all the boring speeches, which Roy Thomas, my hat is off to you for skipping all of that part because 
well, there's already enough talking in the Silver Age, and I just don't think the Silver Age can do talking heads and make them interesting. It's hard enough to do them now in comics, in modern times, though I certainly have seen it done. But in Silver Age superhero comics, you really need to avoid the talking heads at pretty much all cost. So thank you, Roy Thomas, for moving the story forward. So when we cut to the end of these speeches, though, there is one important thing that we do need to talk about, and that is that Goliath announces the Avengers are offering membership to two individuals. The first of which is Black Widow, whom they at least intended to offer membership to, but because she is leaving superhero work behind her, obviously they're not going to. But the second one is the Avengers' longtime house guest, Hercules. So Hercules is now officially an Avenger, which is probably the most important part of this issue. I would like to point out that I think it's a little bit of a dick move to to call out Black Widow the way they did. I get that it's really more of a response to what they anticipate reader questions to be. Oh, well, you know, they offered it to Hercules. Why didn't they offer it to Black Widow? Well, we were going to offer it to Black Widow, but she said she doesn't want to be a hero anymore. That kind of thing. But in real life, obviously not that superheroes are particularly real life, but in a real life situation, it's really kind of inappropriate to call out someone like that publicly. So a bit of an odd choice, but I can understand why they did it. Now, just as Hercules is accepting his offer into the Avengers, this is the moment that Super Adaptoid picks to transform from his human form into his we'll call it super adaptoid form and you can see in his costume the incorporation of many of the Avengers heroes. Obviously his base body is based on Captain America in the center of his chest though you can see an Iron Man like chest piece. He has the wings from Thor's helmet on the side of his head. He has Hawkeye's domino mask as well as Hawkeye's quiver. He has a shield like attachment on his arm though it's not quite like Captain America's, and he has what look like wings on his back, though they're far more solid than Wasp's wings. To be perfectly honest, they look like the kind of shoulder and back pieces that Hank Pym has when he turns into Yellow Jacket. For anyone who's familiar with that particular costume, I'll put up a picture of it on the Facebook page and on the Instagram so you guys can see what I'm talking about here. But that's a little bit closer to what it reminds me of, only it doesn't come all the way forward over his shoulder onto his chest. So, of course, with the Super Adaptoid having revealed himself, the Avengers throw themselves forward into battle, with Goliath leading the charge because, using Goliath's powers, the Super Adaptoid has grown to considerable size, and Goliath is the most likely person to be able to take him on. And although he's mildly successful for a while, eventually Super Adaptoid gains the upper hand. Now, as I've read this issue a couple times now, I'm not entirely sold on Super Adaptoid's power set and his ability to take out all of the various Avengers. The idea is that Super Adaptoid is able to absorb some of the Avengers' power and, and use it for himself, but at least to me, it seems that he shouldn't have the powers in the same concentration as their original owner. So he shouldn't be as strong as Goliath. He shouldn't be as fast as Quicksilver. And yet in each of these instances, the super adaptoid seems to have the owner's power and then some. 
frequently hear the argument is that he absorbs the power from several people and in some places that overlap. So he has the strength of Thor and Hercules and Goliath. And to me, that's just, it's a little bit of a cop-out in order to make the fight a little bit beefier, a little bit bigger, right? Each of these characters has some degree of separation of difference in their power set. So they don't have to pull super strength from four different people. They can pull super strength from Hercules. They can pull the ability to grow from Goliath. They can pull something else from Thor. You know, there's a lot of options here and it just seems like they decided that Super Adaptoid gets everything and then it all adds together. When Goliath realizes that this fight is not going well for him as Goliath, he decides to shrink down to ant size in an attempt to even the odds a little bit. Unfortunately for him, Super Adaptoid is also able to change down to ant size, and we get a really great fight that reminds me a lot of the fight between Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man in the Marvel film Ant-Man, where they're fighting around Ant-Man's daughter's bedroom, and it looks like this mad Massive, very dangerous, very important fight. And the reality is, when they zoom out, it is one of the most inconsequential things you've ever seen. The only real drama here actually comes from the fact that several police officers show up, and the Avengers basically have to tell them to stay where they are so they don't inadvertently step on Goliath or the Super Adaptoid or Wasp. And I love the police officers here because they believe what's going on, but only to a certain extent. They even tell Cap, like, look, we believe this coming from you, but if it were any else, I'd go tell them to sleep it off. I'd assume they're drunk, but these are the Avengers and the Avengers deal with a lot of weird stuff. So at least for a while, the police officers allow the Avengers to kind of just do their thing until the point at which Super Adaptoid flings Wasp off and she pops back to normal size, grabs the Super Adaptoid in his ant size and attempts to hurl him at a tree, thinking that slamming into a tree in his small size might just do the trick in order to disable him. Unfortunately for Wasp, the Super Adaptoid catches on to what's going on and grows back to normal size. So although he hits the tree, it doesn't really have much of an effect on him. One of the coolest things I've seen in this issue, and quite honestly in the last number of issues, possibly this, this series as a whole, is the panel after Wasp throws Super Adaptoid and then he crashes into the tree. Wasp goes to rescue the still shrunken Goliath. And you can actually see on her glove, there is a very small bump that is supposed to represent Goliath. And I just love that level of attention to detail. It would have been so easy for Don Heck to not show it, to imply that she's holding him in her hand, but that's it. Instead, he he makes just a little bit of a decision and, and puts him in there, even if it's just a little bump, but it, it's clear that that's what that is. And I love that. It's little things like that that really sell me on a story. And when I saw that, I just, oh, I just, I fell in love with it. I got, I almost got goosebumps from it just because of how cool I thought it was. So with Goliath temporarily out of the picture and Wasp working to take care of him, that leaves several Avengers out of the picture. And really, it leaves Cap, Quicksilver, and 
Hawkeye to engage with the Super Adaptoid. And again, because of the amount of power that Super Adaptoid has, he gains the upper hand on pretty much all the Avengers. And so it's left to the newest Avenger, Hercules, to come and take on Super Adaptoid. But again, like I talked about, because of this idea that the powers all add together on top of one another, even Hercules is overpowered and, and not a match with the Super Adaptoid. Scarlet Witch makes a good attempt to slow him down using her hex powers and throwing down a tree in his path, but it doesn't really have much of an effect. Finally, though, Quicksilver has an idea, and he goes ahead and creates a distraction while Wanda fills in the rest of the team on Quicksilver's idea. And thankfully, she's able to do so in time because, again, with Super Adaptoid's mimic speed, he is able to disable Quicksilver pretty rapidly. But all of the Avengers begin to descend on the Super Adaptoid. Although Captain America argues that the rest of the Avengers should back off because the Super Adaptoid is only after him, it turns out that Pietro has realized that the Super Adaptoid is basically running on a limited amount of power. And what I mean by that is that although he's able to use all of these powers against the Avengers, he's only ever using really one or maybe two powers at a time to fend off the Avengers. So Quicksilver decides to overload the Super Adaptoid and try and force him to use as many of these powers at once as possible, which causes him to then short out all of his powers and collapse. And I really like this ending because it's really pretty clever. We get to see Quicksilver using something other than his speed to help out the Avengers in the fact that he came up with this idea. So we get to see a little bit of his intelligence here. Now, I will admit that for a modern audience, this is a little bit predictable, a little bit cliche, because we've seen this trope several times. But I think for comic readers in 1967, this is probably a pretty novel solution. And I've got to give it a lot of credit. You know, a lot of times the Avengers just beat something into submission. And it's really kind of fun to see them being able to think their way through something that doesn't necessarily require a whole lot of pummeling. So with the Super Adaptoid defeated, it is once again time to celebrate Avengers Day and begin a long-standing tradition of honoring New York and, in fact, Earth's mightiest heroes. Overall, I really enjoyed the issue, although it is a bit inconsequential. Really, the only thing that is of any real concern is the fact that Hercules becomes an Avenger. Now, there are a few things that are alluded to or flashed back to, like Captain America contemplating leaving being a superhero, Black Widow also contemplating the same thing, Hawkeye's offer of marriage. But these are things that we are going to dig into deeper into the future, and we're really just getting a fairly small taste of right now. Again, I have some issues with Super Adaptoid's power set, though, like I said, I really enjoy how the Avengers eventually dealt with the situation, and there are a few concerns in this issue with regards to Vince Coletta's inking somewhat detracting from certain parts of the narrative. It's never anything major, and the art in this issue is otherwise solid across the issue and actually fairly strong in a few other places.
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we will be hitting our 50th episode with Avengers number 46, The Agony and the Anthill. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.